Hey everyone, welcome back to the Devil's Advocates podcast. I'm JP, I'm joined with Jake and BP over here. Um, Today we're going to touch on some contract stuff with some current and former Devils, as well as the three-on-three tournament. Um, Let's just jump right in with the uh, the Boquist signing in Boston. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird one. We talked about it, I think, an episode or two ago about, you know, if he was coming back, that it was kind of weird that he wasn't in the... uh, um, you know, McLeod, Bastion additions. But we talked about his price and where he fits on the team and stuff like that. And seeing his contract come out as a 775, uh, that was the weirdest way to say that, $775,000 a year, one-year deal, seems really strange to me. So I, I have my own thoughts on it. I kind of want to hear what you guys think first because that number kind of like speaks to me a little bit. For me, I think it's the number, the one-way contract, the term is all very telling and just that Bokvist is betting on himself to show that he can produce in a, at worst, mid-six, if at best, top-six type role as Boston's forward group, with the assumption that Bergeron and Krejci are not returning, is fairly depleted. I mean, their 1C would be Zaka. Bokvist probably could find himself into a 2C role. Uh, potentially on that roster Uh, and I think really it wasn't a money thing with us I think it was a role he just did not have a spot in the top nine even top 12 here you could argue Uh, I I could see legitimate arguments that uh, management thinks more highly of foot even than they would have book as far as a ceiling or at least filling in a bottom line role for the physicality just the size of foot compared to book uh, now, I personally think his uh, foreign back-checking acumen could have made up for some of that size difference between the two, but I do think Foot seems to have a better scoring touch, but Bokvist has two seasons in a row of 10 goals, even if he did it in like 20 less games the year before. So that's just kind of my initial thoughts. To me, it's more of a role. Bokvist probably was told he would not have anything more than a at best, bottom six, if not fourth-line role here, more than likely healthy scratch guy for most of the year. And for him, that was just a no-go, and the team was like, yeah, you know, we agree, you probably deserve better. And he felt like, well, he might have gotten more money in other places, his opportunity to show himself in a higher role was best in Boston. Yeah, I think he thinks that he is a middle six to top six producer. Um I think he honestly I don't really necessarily disagree with him. I I think he has a pretty high end skill set. Um obviously he's an elite skater. Uh he has pretty good hands, he's a pretty good playmaker, decent shot. Um but I I think Jake, yeah, you're right in saying that he wouldn't really fit here in a fourth line role and that's more suitable for the Nolan Foots, the Graham Clarks. Um So yeah, I I I like what he did for himself in going to Boston where he obviously has the opportunity to play at probably a third line center role. Um, I mean, outside of that, I don't really, you guys kind of touched on everything that I wanted to get to. I don't know. Yeah. I want to hear the deeper dive from BP. I'll, I'll jump in here. I actually think that it's quite the opposite of what you guys are saying. You guys are saying that it's some bet on yourself role thing. I think that number to me shows that he wasn't getting anything else that it wasn't necessarily that he took less money and you know the devils couldn't give him a role 
to me, this says the Devils went to him day one and said, hey, we're not bringing you back. You like, you got to find something else. And I think that this one year under a million, well under a million contract shows that he's just taking what he can get. And Boston is needs, you know, very cheap contracts, as we've discussed before. And Boston was the one to give it to him. And, you know, maybe he does have a chance to show what he has there. But to me, a one year at you know, under 800,000 tells me that the demand was zero, that he could have really done anything else. So I don't really see it as much of a high, you know, potential move. Like maybe he's going to use this as a high potential move to show what he can do. But that kind of contract that says to me that the, the demand for Jesper Boquist around the league was just zero. So I would see that more so in a normal year. The thing that, I would give some pushback on that around is the cap is supposed to explode next year. And then again, the year following, I think it's supposed to be a four or 5 million next season. And then the four or five, which is the other one, the year after. But is Jesper Boquist, the guy that's going to reap those benefits. And if you go by a percentage of cap. Yeah. It just, you wait, if he signs a two or three year deal here, he's probably losing out on, say, a million dollars one season, potentially, just from a percentage standpoint. And when you're making 775 or a million point two, when, you know, those even $25,000 differences per year in your AAV, th- those add up a lot for these guys, you know, you know, 25,000 to Jack or Timo and something. That's, you know, they're, they're willing to take the, the trim there to build a better team around them and get those cups and all that. But for those bottom guys, every penny really does matter. They're not, you know, I'm talking to somebody that makes piss poor money, but, you know, we're talking about million, you know, guys making millions of dollars, but, you know, million dollar a year, 775 a year is not generational, you know, it's, it's good money, but also when you're a professional athlete and you're still paying for trainers and uh, I think for the most part, nutritionists and stuff are covered by the team, but like personal trainers, all season stuff a lot, they're still covering and these are hockey players that are hanging out with their buddies who are making multi-millions. They, you know, have that uh, lifestyle luxury tax, if you want to put it that way. Now, if you know me personally at all, I am not crying any sort of tears over anyone making that kind of money. It's any sense of the word. But I understand wanting to get every penny you feel you are deserved, especially when he is still a worker. You know, I'm still going to side with the quote-unquote working class in this case. And if you look at like Boston's depth chart right now. Daily Faceoff has it listed as first line, Pavel Zaka, second line, Charlie Coyle, <laughs> third line, Morgan Geeky, fourth line, Patrick Brown. And then even if you go by wingers, middle set, obviously top line, you got Marshawn Pasternak. There's no yeah. doubt there that that is elite, but then you drop and it's James Van Riemsdyk, Jake DeBrusque. Okay. But then AJ Greer and Trent Frederick. That's hilarious. Like, yeah, it's Boston, there's clear opportunity to stand apart there for Boquist. But I can absolutely see what you're saying, that he didn't have the offers. But I'd be very surprised that a 24-year-old who, uh, if you didn't know, he is an RFA still at the end of this one year. Yeah. Who scored 10 goals two seasons in a row in a bottom six role. Um, did not get offers over 775 when you look at what some other guys got i'd be very surprised if he didn't get at least you know 800 900 from some other i'm not talking you know got offered 1.5 from another team or anything but i'm talking you know, he probably got a little bit higher of offers 
around the league. Uh, just he's looking for that higher opportunity because most teams probably were looking to put him in a bottom six situation because that's where he's been shown to play with us. Yeah, I I also think he has a lot of utility as a player uh, in the sense where he can play both of the wings and he can play center and has for the Devils. And he plays special teams. You know, he was on our PK and he was pretty good in that role. So I, I, I do agree where he probably had a couple offers, some other spots. I don't know. Again, like you said, I don't, I don't think he's getting one and a half million anywhere, but you know, nine, nine fifty. Like I could absolutely see like, uh, an Anaheim or, you know, even like Colorado offering him 900,000. So real quick, BP, just, uh, so maybe he could do this while you're making your point. Uh, JP, would you happen to have, um, evolving wilds, Evolving Hockey, however they're branding themselves right now. Their uh, contract projection for both this? That I might be able to get. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll say this, you know, while you pull it up, but I, I feel like you, you guys are kind of almost arguing against your own point in saying that he took less money and then also saying that, you know, at that level of money, you try to get every penny you can at, you know, a 25, you know, you're, we're talking about 800, 900,000 versus 775. We're talking about a hundred thousand, 200,000, you know, that, like you said, 25,000 is a lot, 200,000 is a lot. So I feel like if he had those offers, even at a place like Anaheim, Anaheim, you know, Boston may be a better team, um, but Anaheim has equal opportunity to try to move up in roles. I mean, he can show what he has in Anaheim, you know, and obviously this is a hypothetical. We just offered him a $900,000 contract from Anaheim out of thin air here. I get that. I'm just saying if that was the case and he had offers from teams like Anaheim, I, I think there's a lot of places that can offer a role to prove yourself here. 775, like I said, it just says to me, that he, he took what he got. But, JP, we got anything? Uh, not yet. I'm working on it. I, All right. I, I, can, I can push back on that just slightly. So, I, I don't know if 9950 was out there. I can see 8850. Uh, and, again, it's it's very hard to know exactly. You know, we, we have no idea, right? We have no idea how many offers, yeah. what teams, what amount. Uh, but, to me, it would be... It would just seem odd if his best offer was a one-year 775, just given his previous production and the role that he had. Uh, that's why, based on that, I'm assuming he possibly took a little less to play someone with a higher role. But if he was offered 900, that would be surprising like, if he turned at 900 or 950 down, because then you're talking, even if he gets the extra bump from the cap going up, it's a wash at that point, right? Right. So I completely agree with you there. Like, so I don't think he's getting, you know, I don't know if he got that offer, but who knows, you know, everybody, you know, drives their own ship really as far as what he wants. Maybe he's a big Boston guy. Maybe he's got best buds up there. Maybe he just wants to hang out with Marshawn because he's a great guy off the ice. He wants to hang out with Pavel Zaka. Yeah, it could be. Who knows, maybe. I do. I have his contract projection now. Um, So for one year, his projection was 1.15 mil. So that's that's a significant shave. And for anyone that's not a, you know too familiar with the evolving hockey guys' uh, contract projections, they are spot very on. spot on, yeah. like across think, the board. I think GMs might look at their page before offering contracts. Well, I mean, <laughs> they projected Timo for eight point eight. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's very good. Like so, just for a little quick blurb here, basically yeah. what they do is they give you every contract one through eight or one through seven based on your situation. Then they give you a cap hit based on the term because obviously term is going to affect how much your cap hit is. And then they give you a percentage chance of what are the odds that they sign this anywhere from thirty-five to fifty-five percent chance on whatever term, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that it was that significant of a cut uh, is kind of crazy. I was, mean, that's I mean, great value for Boston. It's it was like, actually more amount. significant than that because their most likely contract projection was two years at one point five, and then there, there's something going on there. And then one year at one point one, and then the third most likely was three years at two mil. Yeah, and yeah. these these lower end contracts are actually supposed to be the easier ones to predict. Yeah, it's the the big name guys are supposed to be a bit more difficult. So, I mean, that's pretty that's that's significant. That's yeah, that's a uh, lot of money. Well, and it it kind of the, these numbers are very comparable to something I wanted to bring up. We the Devils just gave Nathan Bastion one point three five, and we're looking at Boquist worth you know worth quote unquote. 775 i saw some some chatter on twitter some fans were not happy at bastion at 1.35 when boquist could have been had at 775 and obviously we don't know you know if he would have taken 775 for the devils with the roles that we just talked about but it's mid-july and we have a podcast so it would be irresponsible (laughs) not to not to go over this a little bit am i right yeah i mean i can i can see their arguments for it um I think Bastion is a better fourth liner than Boquist would be. I think Boquist is a better middle six player than Bastion, but I think Bastion is a better fourth liner. And I don't think that we are looking for a middle six forward. I think we're kind of like, this is Holtz's spot now. Or Graham Clark's spot now, even. But I don't think I don't think we were even considering Boquist for a fourth line role, because I think you know, Fitz is a pretty good guy at, you know, getting players who aren't getting time with the Devils where they deserve time somewhere else, like Riley Walsh or Will Butcher. Um, so I think I think we fully knew that Boquist wasn't going to be back, at least in the front office, because he wouldn't fit in a fourth-line role with us. Yeah, I, I same thing as I said earlier. I just don't think Boquist wanted to stay here in a fourth-line role at all. He, I think, would absolutely would have taken and seemed to have, in my opinion, taken less money to play higher up in a different lineup. It's just he was not staying here to play fourth line. Right. Or, I think full stop. I don't think that's too egregious to say at all. I think it's fairly apparent. I do agree that maybe he took less than maybe some other teams that he could have played more middle six. Maybe he did see more opportunity in Boston, or Boston sold him better than other teams on the opportunity they could present, uh, especially going forward. Because, again, he's an RFA at the end of this. So it's not just a one year. It's one year, I'm going to get a little bump next year. You know, who who knows what kind of back... If I want to go full tinfoil, I'll have you. Maybe there's a backroom conspiracy in Boston. They offered him less money now and said, hey, you're an RFA. We're going to sign you and make up... Handshake, make up the difference to you next year when we're in less cap trouble and the cap goes up possible people are shady what was the um the san jose deal was it lebanc lebanc who took the one year like way under market value one year deal in san jose to uh and it was all it was like literally confirmed that there was a backroom deal saying i'm taking this one year deal 
that is way less than my value to re-sign here to help the team. Uh, I don't know who it is off, off the top of my head. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Brad Pack is fighting off a fly. Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> I think it was LeBay. It might be. You would, uh, you're, I had never That's heard my, of that before. My shop, no, it's 100%. You know, maybe I will, I'll try and look it up while we're recording, or maybe we'll, yeah. you know, do a follow up tweet where Jake messed up again or something. But, uh, <laughs> It, that was definitely a thing. I just don't remember exactly which player it was on top of my head. Well, what you're talking about, actually, I know this isn't NHL, but it reminds me of the NBA. There's a player on the Miami Heat. Uh, I mean, he might still be on that team. He's so old now, though. Uh, Udonis Haslam. When Back in the day when they got LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, uh, Miami went to Haslam, and they were basically like, look, we got all of these superstars on this team. We still need role players. However, we have no money left on this team. If you stick around, you know, at least for the next few years at a ridiculously cheap deal, we promise we will keep you around at like whatever you want until you retire. And he's literally been on the Miami Heat for like 20 years now, just making like $3 million a year every single year. And he might even be making more than that. But it just it reminded me of that where he's literally been on that team for like 20 years just because they promised him, look, take take less now. We'll, won't talk about that to the league. Don't let them know that we're doing this, but we'll send you into retirement. So I I don't doubt that it happens. If I had to put money on it, I would say no, right? I'd say that's not the circumstances of why this contract was signed, but if you take the full brevity of both I mean, not, the not situation, Boqu- <laughs> but I, I doubt they Boston went to Boquist and said, we'll take you into retirement here. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm not, no, no, no. Nothing like that. No. I'm purely saying if if you even wanted to entertain that thought, it was something more of we're going to give you a shave less this year and we'll make it up to you slightly in the next contract. And we're talking probably, you know, like 225000 or 125000 uh, to make it up when the cap jumps and they're not in this absolute cap catastrophe because right. of their other deals that they've been doing. I don't think it's as far-fetched as some other things I'm sure we'll end up saying on this podcast at some point. Uh but, you know, again, it's fairly tinfoily. But it really, I think it was both of us saw more opportunity here and took less for a higher role chance. I just heard a lot of clicking. Is there a game of Minesweeper happening? No, that's my wife messaging me, me checking the messages. <laughs> so, so for those that don't know, we're going to air out some dirty laundry real quick. <laughs> if you've heard clicking on any of the previous episodes... Jake is so bored by us talking that he plays Minesweeper during the episode. I need something to keep me entertained, and they just don't bring up anything compelling, so... That's fair. Well, it's it's like one of those Gen Z TikToks that, like, someone will be talking, and there's also, like, a video game, like, run-through being played in, on the bottom of it. Yeah, yeah if so, only I knew so... some special Devil's podcast that was posting those exact clips. Yeah, if you, if you ever want to check out some shit post memes from a Devil's podcast, so we're going <laughs> super niche with the audience here, uh, you, you can check that out on our TikTok. But, yeah, it, it's like Jake is, is absolutely a Gen Zer where he needs to be constantly stimulated at all times. But are you ready for another segue? Speaking of Gen Zers, the prospect tournament was yesterday. That was really good. Did you plan that out? Uh, it no, just it, comes naturally to him. It, yeah. I, you know, just got a brain that fires on all cylinders at all times. Uh, so, JP, you and I uh, were at the prospect tournament last night. Jake's probably just going to play a game of Minesweeper while we talk right now. 
Um, I got one one thing I want to throw in here just yeah, because it's, it. it's how we open this podcast. JP is our analytics darling. Yes. JP is our uh, heart and eye test guy. And I kind of meet in the middle a bit, even if my eye test is better than BP's. So with <laughs> you two at the prospect tournament with the three on three, I need to hear, obviously, BP, just eye test. What did we think and see? And then JP, there's no analytics to come out of that. There's nobody crunching numbers. Nobody there's, no, giving there's a high danger chance. So I need to hear your eye test tape yeah. as well. Actually, there was someone crunching numbers. Our buddy Casey, sitting behind us, had a notebook and a pen and was watching the game and, like, writing every single yeah. thing that happened. It was a total psychopath move. So, Casey, I, I hope you listen to this episode. You are. We should hire him. Yeah. No. Um, so, it, it's funny because, you know, JP and I can sit next to each other and I'll just be like, whoa, that was a sick goal. Sure. And JP's like, oh, it was a defensive breakdown. I'm like, shut up. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, no, but uh, honestly, um, it, not even to get into the prospects yet, but just the experience. That was my first time at uh, a development camp yep. uh, um, activity at all. Um, I've never been to something like that. It was a lot of fun. I thought the way they did it was really, really cool. Um, for anyone that hasn't been, they do three on three tournaments. Uh, they actually divide the rink. So they play horizontally on two sides of the rink. So it's super small. They cut it off at the blue line, I think. Yep. And um, so, so it's really tight space. They play 10 minutes. They change the players every 30 seconds. Yep. And it, it was cool. Some of the games were 1-0, and some of the games were like 6-5. It gave us a really, really you know long look at everyone because they change every 30 seconds, so every player is getting five minutes of ice time per game. They did a round robin and then a, a finals with the, you know, the two best teams. It was really genuinely a very well done event. I, I would look forward to going back. Um, and I will turn it over to JP here a little to talk a bit about how each prospect, or not each prospect, but how some of the prospects did. All I will say is uh, Xavier Perrant looked like an absolute superstar. He looked like Prime Gretzky in the Dude. three on three tournament. Oh my Good God. <laughs> anyone that, anyone that like knows me. I love Xavier Perrant so much, and I have since Dev Camp last year. He looked phenomenal last year. He looked phenomenal this year. That's my boy. He's like 5'8", like 165, and just flies around everyone. It's awesome. Yeah, he was wheeling and dealing goals. He had a hat trick in the first game that we yeah. saw. Um, I think he should be on our first line next year. Um, actually... <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of a side <laughs> tangent. I think it's one of the reasons the event is kind of funny is some of these guys can look like absolute studs, and Perron. it really has no bear. Yes, Perron. And it really has no bearing on whether they actually make the team or not. So it's funny right. how it's like, oh, my God, he looks so amazing. He should make the team. And it's like, no, he's still, like, 80th on the depth chart. <laughs> um, there was another guy, though, that I want to mention real quick. Uh, Andre Seneca. I think that's how you say Dude. his name. Seneca, maybe? I, th I think it's Seneca. Seneca. So the kid's six seven. First of all, let's just get that out of the way. Uh, he was the only one to throw a hit during the whole night, which was hilarious because it was very clear um, that they were not supposed to be hitting. It was yeah. for fun. It, it wasn't even a serious event in the way that it was really just for fans. What's up, Jake? Not, not if you ask a, a least prospect. Apparently, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't, wasn't going to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, a, a Leafs prospect got absolutely railroaded, and that's really, really unfortunate for him. Um, but 
Yeah, no, it was clearly an event that was for the fans. It really wasn't for them to showcase, you know, their hockey skills quite as much because of the kind of arcade atmosphere of the game they were playing. But Homie just threw a hit. Like, they, the whole night, no hits, and that guy just rammed the guy I thought the he got hit. Oh, uh, well. I, like yeah, I, I, I thought he got, like, his legs taken out. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, I guess I just looked up for a moment and heard the boards crash. He was definitely like, oh, on the ground, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, no, it was, it was – it was cr- I mean, he was massive. Like I said, I, I think the website lists him at 6'6". Six, six. I think someone else told me he's supposed to be 6'7". He was, yeah, he's huge. He looked like Chara out there. So um, he's going to be on the first D pair while Perrant plays on the first line. That's my takeaway from. from you know Jeff he plays Gant. forward, right? Yeah, he's well, a forward. This, he's this, absolutely this a forward. Yeah. So when I said my test was better than BP's, just let this oh, prove that. <laughs> just, just, just it wasn't even an eye test. It was looking down at a piece of paper that said Andre Seneca F. <laughs> you know he, what? I, he thought that was a grade. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are all these guys getting Fs and Ds? <laughs> oh yeah, these these are our lesser prospects, I guess. Um, uh, no, but I, you know, okay, he's a forward. Um, I, I, you know what? To be honest, I just saw six seven and was like, oh, he's a defenseman. It's That's probably my bad. Fair. You know what happens when you assume, right? Um, but JP, I'll, I'll let you kind of discuss a little more in depth because you clearly know what you're looking at a little better. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I had a really good time watching everyone. Um. Honestly, Andre Seneca looked really good too. I don't I don't know if it was just me, but like he had crazy good hands, like really in tight. Um and obviously he was hard to get off the puck cuz he's giant. Um I am going to eat my words from uh two episodes ago a little bit. I forgot to say it. A Ugh. little bit. Oh, I was going to bring it up. I just wanted to see if he would Yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to write the ship here slightly. Um, I still think Lenny Haminaho is a horrible skater. Horrible. However. But. However. But. The other facets of his game are much better than I thought they were. His, like, ability to get in lanes and, and that high IQ play was absolutely on display. Absolutely on display. He knew where everyone was at all times. He always put himself in the right position. He broke up passes. He blocked shots. He put passes in the right area when there clearly wasn't a play developing until he put it there. It was He was phenomenal. And that penalty shot. And the penalty shot. He's got silky smooth hands. I, I, can't, I can't argue with it. He looked great. The moment he hit that, I turned to JP. I was like, you know what you have to do on the next episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Oh man, no, I am doing it. Unfortunately, I hate eating my own words. Oh, um, we know. <laughs> well aware. Um, um, but what about the goalies? As far as goaltending goes, um, first things first. Malik is enormous. He. It says he's six five. I think he's larger than that. The net looked like a toy next to him. Um, and he also, he made some really nice saves and I think it was game two. He made some really nice saves, but I think the goaltending story was, uh, Brady. Yeah. He, he was unbelievable. I had never seen this guy play. He, he made a lot of really nice saves. Right. And, and 
just for context, because the ice was so tight, because the you know space was so small, a lot of the back and forth moves were very as if they were on a breakaway or if they were on a two and one, very in close. Yeah. You know, goalie didn't have much time and there was no freezing the puck, no face offs. So if a goalie had his glove, you know, on the ice on the puck, all he could do is try to get rid of it to one of his teammates. So yeah. there was a lot of, you know, goalie putting the puck back in play and having to, you know, adjust right away. So I thought the goalies did a great job, you know, given the atmosphere. It wasn't uh, an authentic game atmosphere. Uh, yeah, Brady was playing out of his mind. Yeah. Malik, I mean, they all looked huge. They all looked huge. Right. But Malik, Malik absolutely huge. looked huge. So um, yeah. The, the one that I want to touch on real quick, because I feel like he was the, I guess, premier guy there, we didn't see much from Seamus Casey. Well, okay, so we only got him We only got him for one game. So the way that it right. worked was our side of the ice was, like, the winner's side of the ice, so whoever won on the other side came over, and Seamus Casey's team was pretty weak. I, yeah. honestly, so I thought he was pretty good. So actually, this was one of this was my question. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to start uh, before we jump into that and go deeper into Casey. I had a more overarching question. Sure. And then specific. So, with the three and three tournament being the half, not just half ice, but the and I want to put it vertical versus horizontal or horizontal versus vertical, whatever. Uh, or side boards. Yeah. Um, do you feel like it was tougher on defensemen? compared to the forwards with the it being three on three and the decreased ice size uh at least play style to play style some defensemen maybe just would not you know gap control i'm sure was absolutely horrendous trying to like right know exactly where to space yourself not having the dots and all that right uh, did you have any strong feelings on how this affected how a defenseman might look to the to the eye test on these uh on the three on three i mean there were there were certainly more odd man rushes um, naturally, um, honestly, I, my biggest, um, I guess advocation for Seamus Casey was his defense on the rush. I thought he was pretty calm, cool, and collected. I thought he was the only defenseman who was calm, cool, and collected in those situations, um, because they were happening all the time. And he always put his, he has a very active stick, which is something I didn't realize. Um, it's definitely harder on the defenseman, uh, to answer your question, um, absolutely is, but I thought Seamus Casey specifically did a pretty good job of it. Well, and the one thing we saw because the ice was so small is there was less traditional forward defenseman role taking. Right. Uh, it's not like two forwards were up and one defenseman was back. Yeah. It was really kind of more cyclical. It was like a rotation, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was like a rotation. So, I mean, that's why I thought Seneca was a defenseman. It was really hard to tell what positions they were. Right. So, you know, I was really just looking at him. I was like, oh, defenseman. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, it was definitely, if you are a defensive defenseman trying to show what you have as a prospect at the three on three tournament, you're going to have a tough time. That's just not what it's for. Um, and that's, that's kind of why I said uh, originally, you know, it really wasn't for them to really show off their skills. I mean, it it is to show off their skills, but not so much their gameplay because it, it really wasn't authentic gameplay. It really was just a show for the fans. So yeah, defenseman had a tough time. Right, and yes. and yeah, Friday is absolutely going to be the the showcase your talent, you know, right. on like an actual NHL situation type deal for the development camp. Right. Uh, uh, BP, especially bouncing off of your comment, um, I don't know if you guys saw it, but they did a uh, a media scrum afterwards with uh, Chase Cheslock, 
Uh, I don't know how much of an NHL future he may have or not. Seems maybe on the more unlikely side, but hey, I'm rooting for everybody, right? He His biggest comment was, hey, I, I know my role here. I'm not the skilled defenseman guy. That's not my game. Yeah. I literally, when I got the puck, I was like, okay, where are the skilled guys at? Get them the puck. That well, was I saw that, too. Entire, yeah. That was his entire mindset for the three-on-three. Three. He so absolutely did really that. So my follow-up question is, on the first couple days, there was two names that basically were thrown in all of our faces. I think pretty deservedly so. I, you know, from last camp to this one, in Filmin uh, and Villain, or Villain. Yeah, um, Villain. They were hyped up beyond anything as far as all the guys here. Casey, we know for sure, but those two as well. Uh, they basically were radio silence through the three-on-three tournament. I didn't really see or hear much about them at all. Was that more so of a, we want to put some spotlight on some other guys, or did they kind of ghost on the three-on-three? They They were invisible. Yeah, they they ghosted a bit. Um, They actually, I was, so, because uh, Philman specifically, because I knew he was, kind of has more eyes on him, I watched him even, so they did um, pregame warm-ups and stuff too. Um, So they did, like, line rushes from the blue line. I kind of watched him and his and his shooting and his his um, you know rushes. He looked better in the line rushes than he did in the three on three games. Yeah. And from what I know of his game, he's kind of like Sharon Govich, where it's like lethal shot, but you know maybe not too much else. Um, I mean, obviously other intangibles and stuff, but the the real feature is for Filmin is the shot. So I did see the shot, and in line rushes, the shot looked lethal, and you know it looked good. But translating that into the three-on-three games did nothing. It did not work, no. He, he did not look good. The one thing I will say about Philman is there was some talk about him growing. Uh, he did, I Yeah, think. he got bigger. Yeah, he absolutely – I think he was six one when he was drafted. Um, and there were a lot of six one players there. He looked taller than them, so I'm going to say he's like 6'3 now, 6'2", 6'3". He looked large. Good. Good. Yeah. I know that was like the biggest knock on his game was just yeah. size, and if he could put that on, yeah. we might actually have something there. So that's yeah, good to hear. Big. On the, uh, on the any... topic, uh, real quick of of, uh, of shots though, Samu Salmanen. Did how you how you say his name? <laughs> I may have not even been close there. He had an absolute snipe in game. It was it was like he had a breakaway, I believe, or it was like him and the. It wasn't like a full breakaway, but it was him and the goalie. And he went top shelf above the left shoulder. It was beautiful. Like, yeah. that was one of the few moments. Because the, the crowd's not really rooting for either team because they're both Devils prospects. Right. But you get a little, like, low, like, cheer if a goal is scored whatever. When he hit that shot, that was one of maybe <laughs> two or three moments in the whole night where people were like, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Same, with, uh, same with Schleine. Schleine. Hey. Yeah, Patrick Schleine. Reading my mind there, uh, JP. I had a, I was, there was a couple more guys I wanted to touch on before uh, moving on to one other thing with the three on three. But yeah, I saw uh, Schleine had four goals. Four I think goals it was in, in the, the last finals. one. One was an empty net, but yeah. Sure, had, sure, but yeah. It's three he, uh, snipes. Yeah, so, he, he did. Obviously, put puck in net. As Devils fans, we love and appreciate that. How was the rest of the game looking? Or was it really like, he's there, I put puck in net, don't worry about the rest? That's kind of, I mean, I didn't really notice him outside of shooting the absolute darts top left. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say the only real player who legitimately was like, stand out, this guy's flying around the ice, doing everything, looks good, every shot, even when he's not scoring, was Perron. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. 
Um, for the most part. I, I mean, do. I think uh, Seneca was really good, and I thought Haminaho was really good. But. Uh, okay, Haminaho I know had a lot. And the other name that I saw kept popping up uh, on social media and stuff was Cam Squires. Yes, I did. He, yeah. he was my firm fourth best. Um, he legit, he looked like, I've said this before, I, he looked like Dawson Mercer light. He looked like best, not best buy, Walmart. You know, great deal. Great value. Da- great value, whatever it is. Uh, Dawson Mercer. He also had a snipe that was yeah. pretty, pretty nice. Yeah, in the finals, I think. Yeah, I think it was in the finals. Yeah, um, yeah no, he, he looked good. I, I would say he looked, you know, uh, above average compared to the rest yeah. of him. Like, he was in the upper tier of those players. Um, but he wasn't, wasn't like, the standout. Right. Um, sure. Also, right. I have uh-huh. a... I have a small little story that if anyone listening maybe can help out here. Uh, so when I was going to the tournament, I was on the elevator uh, in the parking lot coming down. And I was on the elevator with some people who said they were there, you know, for the tournament. But they were asking questions like, oh, do people really show up to this kind of thing? Like, And they were in, like, plain clothes. And, you know, they were older people. And I was like, yeah, no, like, I think they will. And they're like, oh, well, our grandson is playing in it. And I was like, oh, okay, that's really cool. And one of the other people in the elevator was like, oh, what number is he? And they said he's number two. Um, but we went to Nashville camp last year with him, um, and no one was there. So we're, you know, we're excited to see if people are come up, you know, to this kind of thing. Um, he's playing in college, so he's not going to, like, get a deal here. Like, he is confirmed to be playing in college next year, but he was invited here for, you know, for camp. So we know he's an invite, but here's the thing. When I got to the rink, I asked JP as our resident, you know, know-it-all. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this guy, this you know, says number two, but there isn't any players wearing number two in the dev camp. Like, maybe it's his family, so maybe they're thinking of his college number that he wears when he, you know, plays in college. And we looked up all the invitees, and no one wears two in not college. Not a single so, person. Not a single person. <laughs> So anyone listening to this, we're kind of on a little bit of a hunt here to figure out whose family I rode this elevator with because I have no idea. We can't figure it out. So I'm not really going anywhere with this, but if anyone listening to this can, like, figure that out, that would be incredible. (laughs) The only thing I got, uh, shout out to our boy Trey of Locked On Devils. Got a nice little interview with Luke Rowe, a college defenseman. Uh, If you haven't watched Locked On Devils, definitely check it out. Uh, it was, this is not an interview you're going to find on the Devils' social media pages. Uh, Luke seemed like a very down-to-earth, awesome guy. Uh, wears number four in college, though, apparently. So I don't know if that's your man. But he's definitely a, a college guy playing college hockey next year. Uh, but, yeah, that that's my only little bit of sleuthing I can do for you guys. Off yeah, the we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure yeah, it out. I mean, uh, we were, we were right. on that hunt for a while. Yeah. My next, uh, if not last follow-up at least about the three-on-three tournament uh, is, did you guys do the autographing or at least the meet-and-greet one-on-ones? Boring no. people. Absolutely no. boring no. people. For our audio-only people, they had shook their heads no. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, um, that's just something that uh, I, I think I said this when we talked about the draft. Oh, my God, the fly is on the screen. <laughs> get it? Get Oh. I missed it. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh I think I talked about this when we talked about the draft, but I don't really, as much as I would enjoy watching the prospects play in an event like this, I don't really put too much stock into them as devil's prospects until they are really about to hit the league or join the league. I think 80% of the guys we saw play yesterday are not 
really going to be NHL mainstays if make right. the NHL at all. So I, I really am able to kind of separate myself from that. Um, so I didn't stick around for the autographs. So, yeah. so you turn your nose up at them. They're below yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, these little, the, these 18-year-olds with bright eyes and bushy tails trying to sign autographs for the fans. I put up a middle finger and drove away from Newark. Yeah. Yeah, I watched it. I watched him do that. <laughs> there were kids around, and no, I'm kidding. Please yeah. don't edit this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I didn't either. I, I was going to stay for Perrant's autograph, because you guys know it's my boy. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, then any final thoughts on anything we did not cover from your uh, either the on-ice or just the experience of uh, outside of the ice, which I'm, I'm probably a little more interested in, of the three-on-three Tournament. There were a lot more people there than I thought there would be. Oh, it, it was packed. It was yeah, full. It was packed. It, which it, which uh, I, I said this on my morning show that, uh, I, you know, we saw that all over. It was packed, packed, packed. The, the prospects all commented on, like, how crazy it was, how many people were there. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we didn't have, I would say, a marquee name in this at all. Like, our biggest yeah. name here is, what, Casey? Casey, yeah. yeah. Right? I mean. Yeah, round pick from last year. Yeah, that's crazy. That it was that. Like, imagine if Luke was playing or something. Like, yeah. cool. That's yep. I, that's awesome to see from a fan base that is clearly excited going into this next season. Yeah, yeah every every seat was packed, and uh, around the what where the goals usually are, but weren't this time. Um, you know, around the little horseshoe at the end of the rink was like three, four rows of people deep packed. Um, there was you know probably about a thousand people there. I'd say. Yeah, no, there was, there was a lot. The, the one other thing that I would mention about the crowd is that I want to say, like, three or four people got hit with pucks. Um, oh, my God. Can we talk about that for <laughs> just, like, 30 seconds? They, so they have, obviously, the glass, and they have the net above the glass. And when the puck goes into the net, sometimes it doesn't fall back into the ice. It falls, like, through a little crack. And most people see that happening, and they're aware of it, and they catch it. However, while they were doing warm-ups... And this, I mean, there were a couple, but this one, this oh one. Oh, my God. They were doing warm-ups. We, we see a shot go up. I don't know where it hit. I couldn't tell you. There was a bang, like, on the ceiling, on the roof, like, um, you know, on the wall of, like, the actual building, not the rink wall. And we're all, like, looking around, like, where did it just go? And, like, five rows in front of us on the platform for the <laughs> stairs, there's just, like, four- or five-year-old kid. And the puck comes down from the ceiling and lands i swear six inches from his face yeah like, maybe like it, he would have been in the icu if dude hit him. It, like, it wasn't it wasn't even just falling i it was loud it was it came down yeah. so fast the kid would have been like in the hospital like legit it, it i was legitimately scared like i because i didn't know if it hit him or the floor when yeah. i heard the bang or whatever i like my heart like stopped i turned to jp i was like we almost just witnessed something that would have changed the trajectory of our friendship forever. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. And then I, I saw a couple, there was like a, some girl on the other side got hit with one of the pucks that like slid down the net. Um, but it yeah. just like bopped her on the head real, like super light. Yeah. There were, there were some flying pucks. Oh my God. That was wild. Um, that was nuts. I think that's a great way to end the discussion on the three-on-three. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, Obviously, that's not something outside of being there. We heard about it all. Uh, So I do love the insight from a couple of guys that were there in person. Um, I think that really covers it. I mean, there was a couple other random pieces of devils, things going around the sphere. 
they're still there. We could talk about them at a later date. But I think this was a pretty solid, in-depth look at the experience of the three-on-three tournament. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving our own episode a good review. No, thanks, Jake. <laughs> well, Jake. like I said, you know, I mostly carry. So the oh. fact that you guys had to do the heavy lifting for most of this episode, I appreciate it. Oh, oh yeah. Anytime, buddy. Humble servant I am. <laughs> Same here. That's if I'm nothing but humble. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, right, I carry this pod. I'm humble. Yeah. I'm humble. <laughs> Jake is coming. Uh, Jake That's is it for me over here. Jake, our boy JP, who doesn't ever. I'm going to have an outro anyone. this time. Take it easy, everyone. Jasper Bratt is the best player in the NHL. <laughs>